everyone to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, as always. And I thought that we would start with the proposal that was released Monday morning from the Biden administration. I don't want to spend too much time on it because there's a lot. There's a lot in there. And if you want to read it and see what's in it, you can, of course, uh, sign up for the companion morning newsletter at Markets and mortgages.com will deliver it right to your inbox every morning around 6 a.m. Right around 6 a.m. Somewhere. I used to say before 6 a.m., but you never know. I might wake up late. <laughs> so it's around 6 a.m. Somewhere around there. And if you want to read the whole thing, it's in there. A uh, half of it are ideas that the Biden administration says are in the Build Back Better legislation. That legislation from, of course, was it last year? I think it was, right? I can't, my, my years blend <laughs> trying to figure out what happens one year. And it was legislation that did not come close to passing, mostly because Joe Manchin was like, yeah, I'm not voting for it. And so that pretty much killed it on the vine. And the Biden administration wants to see it get passed. They know that more than likely they're going to lose in the midterms. And so any chance they have any legislation going forward is going to be zero. So they either could do it now or it doesn't happen. So they talk about some of the proposals that are in the Build Back Better plan, but the actual executive action that is in there, it's not bad. It's you know, it's interesting because I don't pretend that I'm not who I am. I am a conservative. I am someone who believes in free markets. In a lot of cases, I believe letting the market figure it out versus the government is the way to go, but it doesn't mean there should be no government. And one of the best ways the government can help out an economy that is sputtering or faltering or whatever is happening is to let the economy figure it out. They're going to do a better job. And there actually are proposals in this, or I should say there are proposals in this proposal. <laughs> there are ideas in this proposal, which I like. I mean, one of them is, is making it easier to get things done, you know, getting rid of some red tape making dealing with bureaucracy easier. And that is always something that I will support. For example, one of the proposals that they mention is that a lot of the government funding that is necessary for certain types of programs, if usually you're using two programs, you're getting money from two programs in order to actually be able to use the money and dealing with each program has its own set of rules. And so you got to deal with all these rules and you got to deal with all these rules. And they're trying to streamline that. So they make it easier and there's more kind of reciprocity, I guess, is maybe one way to look at it, where if you pass a regulation for this group, you automatically qualify in the other group. Just removing some red tape, make it a little easier for that money to flow and help out the people they're trying to help out. That's always, like I said, a good thing. I also like the fact that they're, rewarding areas that are trying to deal with development and single family zoning. And in a lot of places, how that actually ends up hurting the ability to build and letting people kind of have autonomy over their own land. If somebody wants to build two townhouses instead of just one single family house, they want to make that easier. And so things like that, I'm a hundred percent supportive of hundred percent. And so it's not entirely bad. I mean, the reason why so much of it is build back better is because contrary to popular belief, the executive branch does not have ultimate power, does not have unlimited power. It has expanded 
over the last 50 years, but it is not unlimited. And so a lot of the things they want to get done, especially with regards to allocating money that needs to be done by the legislature, they are the ones that control the purse. And so that's why a lot of this is mostly, hey, we should pass Build Back Better in order to get these things accomplished. But like I said, there are some good things with regards to removing red tape, allowing people more control over their own property that I'm a big fan of. So it wasn't bad. There's a lot in there. And like I said, if you want to read it, you can, of course, uh, once again, sign up for the morning companion newsletter. It is in there. Or, of course, go to the website marketsandmortgages.com. So I want to get into one of the uh, big reports that we saw at the end of last week. And there was a lot going on at the end of last week, so that's why we didn't get to it then. And it was reports from Adam Data Solutions looking at home equity. And we know that over the last two years, pretty much every quarter, except for maybe that first one in 2020, when we saw a drop when COVID was, um, you know, first broke out, Sure, we saw a drop in equity, but since then it's been up and up and up and up and it's just kept going. And the first quarter of 2022, no different. So this is the Adam Data Solutions first quarter 2022 U.S. home equity and underwater report. And they found that quarter over quarter mortgage residential properties in the United States that are considered equity rich hit 44.9%. That is up three percentage points from Q4 of 2021. That's a big, I mean, look how close we're getting to 50%. And just to give you an idea of how far we've come, year over year, Q1 2021, only 31.9% of mortgage properties were considered equity rich. I think that's 50% of your home value exists. So your mortgage is less than, or you still owe less than 50% of what your home is worth. And a year ago, that was 31.9%. And now it's almost 45% and getting very, very close to 50%. Rick Sharga, executive vice president of market intelligence for Adam said, homeowners continue to benefit from rising prices. Buyers, not so much. But if you're a homeowner, things are pretty good. Sharga said record levels of home equity provide financial security for millions of families and minimize the chance of another housing market crash like the one we saw in 2008. But these higher home prices and rising interest rates make it extremely challenging for first time home buyers to enter the market. And yeah, that's the downside. As we always say here on the podcast, zero sum when it comes to buyers and sellers. Home prices rise. It's great if you're a home seller. Not so great if you're a home buyer. Home prices drop vice versa. So as equity rises, properties that are considered underwater have drastically decreased from the same time last year. So quarter over quarter, mortgage homes considered seriously underwater increased slightly. That's kind of surprising to 3.2%. That is up from just 3.1% in Q4 of 2021. But it was a big drop from a year ago when it was 4.7%. So a full percentage point of homes that were underwater are now no longer underwater in just a year. And probably not surprisingly, the West still has the largest share of equity-rich properties in the country with who do you think's leading the way? 
No, you thought you thought it was California, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was. It's Idaho. <laughs> Idaho is leading the way. 68.8% of homes in Idaho are equity rich. <laughs> Idaho is leading the way. Vermont was a very close second at 68%, followed by Utah at 63.6%, and then Washington and Arizona were both at 60.9%. And then looking at metro areas, California, there we go. There it is. San Jose, California leads them all with 74.4% of properties considered equity rich, followed by Austin, Texas at 73%. Boise, Idaho, there we go. Idaho at 70%. And then San Francisco at 68.1%. And then finally, the top county in the country, with the most equity-rich properties was Dukes County in Massachusetts, also known as Martha's Vineyard. 81.1% of properties are equity-rich. So, yes, a lot of happy homeowners out there in the first quarter of 2022. And basically, anyone who is actually paying attention knows the housing market has never been sturdier. I know we hear we hear about the housing crisis and that's why we got Biden releasing his plan. That's all because people cannot get into the housing market. The people that are already there, never been better. And that's why this is the opposite of 2008. Remember 2008, there was never a time when somebody that wanted a house couldn't get one. That's why our vacancy rates were way too high, which also helped of course cause the housing crash, and now it's the exact opposite. We've had vacancy rates never been this low. I mean, people who are, who are in homes at the highest level we've ever seen in this country. I mean, good luck even finding a place, rent, buy, whatever it may be. So that's just one of the reasons why we're so much different than 2008. But it's also, nobody was talking about an affordability crisis because there were all these products out there, these horrible subprime products and interest-only loans and everything else. And so people wanted to get a home they could. That is not what is happening in 2022. And the fact that what we're seeing with foreclosures, I think, highlights this. So first off, only about 200 in 1,000 homeowners who were facing foreclosure in Q1, which equates to, by the way, just 0.3% of the 58.1 million outstanding mortgages. <laughs> and then making matters even better, of those 201,000, 90, 90%, excuse me, 90% or 180,000 have at least some equity built up in their home. <laughs> so not only are we completely different from 2008, but even the people who are in foreclosure, who are facing foreclosure, they actually have equity. <laughs> and this is like exact opposite of 2008 where people owed 120% on their home. They had no equity and they were actually underwater. Now you have people who are in foreclosure who actually have equity in their homes. And so I don't know. I don't know if they have enough where it makes sense for them to sell because if you, it does cost money to sell your home. You, know, you got to pay your real estate agent. You got to play, you know, different costs are involved. And so if it gets to the point where maybe it's still too much, okay, fine. I mean, a lot, in a lot of cases, even if you take a little bit of a loss, it's better than foreclosing on a house and destroying your credit. 
So the fact that people still have equity in their homes is just, I don't know. I think that that just speaks volumes to how much different things are now versus where we were in 2008. All right. And speaking of where we are, it is Tuesday. So this is like really when the day, because there's never anything ever comes out on Monday. Fridays and Monday, there's usually very few releases with regards to economic data. It's always Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And this week, we got a lot. We got a lot going on. Uh, at 8.30 this morning, retail spending uh, will be out. as It's projected continuing to go up. It's supposed to go up 0.8% in April. We got builder confidence also out at 10 a.m. That's actually projected to fall to 75. I think it was 77 last month. And then at 9.30 p.m., we have China's housing index. And China's facing some real problems with its shutdown over COVID. The economy's been shut down. Their retail numbers plummeted. They dropped interest rates to start the week. They're trying to get first-time homebuyers in to get a mortgage. I mean, it's, it's chaos. And even with them pumping up these numbers, they still look bad. So I'm very interested to see what China's housing index has to see later tonight. Uh, Wednesday at 2 a.m., we're getting the UK inflation data. And then at 5 a.m., we got European Union inflation data. Then at 7 a.m., we got mortgage demand and rates. And then housing starts also out on Wednesday, projected to fall to a rate of 1.773 million in April. And then on Thursday, kind of what we always get, you know, we got the initial jobless claims, mortgage rate data, but then we also have existing home sales projected to fall as well to 5.62 million. And then we got the Japanese inflation rate at 7 p.m. So we got a lot of data, global things happening in some big countries. Because what happens in Japan, what happens in China, especially China, impacts us. And so that's why it's important to kind of keep an eye on what is happening with their housing markets, what's happening with their economy. And we'll talk about it all this week. But we got to go. We are officially out of time. You guys, enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you back here Wednesday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.